Welcome to Open Plaza, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. In this episode, Reverend Dr. Tony Lin talks to Reverend Mickey Correa about his work as a pastor in Washington Heights, preparing the next generation of clergy, and never forgetting about the humanity of ministry. For more information about today's episode, visit htiopenplaza.org. Welcome to HTI's Open Plaza podcast. My name is Tony Lin. I'm a sociologist and a Presbyterian pastor and also the author of Prosperity Gospel Latinos and Their American Dream. And I'm here with Miki Correa, the Chief Program Officer of Blanton Peel Institute for Counseling and, and Counseling Center here in New York City. And today we're going to talk about the mental health needs for clergy themselves and the, the training clergy need for, uh, to provide mental health care, especially in light of the pandemic. So thank you for joining us today, Miki. Buenas tardes, good afternoon. Tell us a little bit about yourself first. Let's introduce you to the, to the Open Plaza Familia. Sure, I'm Miki Correa. Uh, I am a native New Yorker. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, um, but my my family, my parents are from Puerto Rico, uh, and I am the chief program officer at the Blanton Peel Institute and Counseling Center. Uh, I've been at Blanton Peel for the last two and a half years. Uh, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, a psychotherapist um, that treats individuals and couples and families and have been doing so for the last 15 years. Uh, I'm also a Methodist pastor. I serve a bilingual congregation in the Washington Heights uh, section of, of Manhattan. And in my spare time, I teach a college course at City College. What do you teach? What's the class you teach? Uh, social work theory and practice. Oh. And at times I've also taught at Fordham's graduate program in social work. And you've been doing that for a while, right? You did that You've been doing that before, even before you were at Latin Peel. That's right. So I'm, uh, I've been at City College for about seven years. Mm -hmm. um, and on and off, I've taught um, various classes at Fordham as well during that time. Tell us a little bit about Blanton Peel. What does Blanton Peel do? Sure. Uh, Blanton Peel is quite an interesting place. It started in the Great Depression era back in the 1930s in the basement of a church, the Marble Collegiate Church in um, Midtown Manhattan. At that time, uh, the clergy person of Marble Collegiate Church was Norman Vincent Peale, the author of the um, bestseller, The Power of Positive Thinking. Uh, the people that were going to Marble Collegiate at that time were seeking out support from their clergy person and um, Dr. Peel, who had the, the gifts of caring for people, knew that there, were, there, were, there was another part of caring for his parishioners. And so apart from being able to provide that spiritual care, he knew that there were emotional and psychological issues that were surfacing for his parishioners. And so he um, connected with this psychiatrist, Miley Blanton, hence uh, the Blanton Peel Institute, um, Dr. Um, uh, Blanton had been psychoanalyzed by Sigmund Freud and together um, uh, Drs. Peel and Drs. Blanton 
started this clinic in the basement of that church. And that was the predecessor of the organization that exists today. Uh, Blend Peel has three programs. It has a psychoanalytic training program um, that conducts uh, rigorous psychoanalytic training for folks who have a graduate degree. Uh, we get a lot of clergy persons that um, want to uh, enhance their, not only their pastoral care skills, but in being able to really work with people's um, psychological issues. And so they come to us to receive um, training because our psychoanalytic program is unique in that it integrates a spiritual perspective. It has both Freudian and Jungian perspectives along with other contemporary um, iterations of psychoanalytic theory. And it's, it's, it's a place that makes sense um, for folks that graduate from seminary and they want, um, they want to be licensed as a mental health professional. We also have a Korean care uh, and community program. Um, it is an iteration of what used to be a pastoral care specialist program. It's uh, entirely in the Korean language. Um, it, 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 it allows uh, issues related to mental health and community care to be expressed in the Korean language and for the Korean community. And so we both have students that are from South Korea as well as Korean American students in that program. And then we have an outpatient mental health clinic, um, the counseling center, which is uh, predominantly how Blanton Peel is known these days. And it's an article 31 uh, outpatient mental health clinic. That means that it's regulated by the state, by the Office of Mental Health. And in that program, we provide affordable mental health care for New Yorkers of all walks of life. And uh, in, in that space, we not only provide uh, psychotherapy, but also the ability to have access to psychiatric care um, and holistic, well, um, um, caring mm -hmm. for their for the variety of things that comprise a person's experience. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. So, so you started at Blanton Peel a little bit before I came to New York I, when I started at NYTS. So, so we kind of that, that's when we met, right? We we kind of we were both pretty new, me newer than than you, but we were both fairly new. And uh, within a few months of us taking on, on our, our new jobs, uh, <laughs> a little virus <laughs> affected our, our city. That's a little one. <laughs> yep, and, and shut things down. Tell us, and you're the chief program officer. You, you're in charge of all the programs at this you know, mental health center that trains and provides care. And, uh, and when we're hit, and our New York City, I, I hope you know, tell, you can tell us a bit more of what, what it was like. For, for people who weren't in New York City, they just saw it at the news. For us, I mean, it was, it was, it was brutal in those days, right? So, so tell us a little bit about what, what, it, how, how, what it was like. What was it like to run a mental health uh, center, place for care and training? And uh, at this, you know, you, of course, you were still, you know, pastoring at that time and your church was, you know, our communities were the most affected, the most uh, highest death rates, highest, uh, uh, yeah, most most people sick, most affected. T tell us a little, little bit, you know, take us into, into your world and the mental health care world at the, in the beginning and the 
for the rest of 2020. What was it like? Sure. I, it was quite a time. Um, I would say one of the first things that occurs to me, apart from being the chief program officer, I, I work with our president and CEO, as well as our chief financial officer. And together we had to make some big decisions um, because we have a large outpatient clinic with a number of patients that depend on Latin Peels Counseling Center for their psychological care. And we also had a number of therapists that provide that care. So we knew that we weren't going to be able to continue doing the amount of work that we did in the space that we had. And so it really took a, it really took a, a village to be able to think about this, not only from an executive stance, it took, um, it took the flexibility and the agility of a talented staff and a willing staff to confront the challenges that would be ahead of us. And so it took many meetings, lots of conversations, um, and it was quite impressive. I've, in the last couple of weeks, I've had a number of our therapists express to me that they've been so impressed that we were able to get our clinic that was meeting, we would have easily 200 sessions a day that we were able to move that care and provide that continuity of, continuity of care virtually in the span of days, uh, seamlessly. It's, it's still, it blows my mind, but it really did took a, it took a lot of planning. It took a lot of conversations. It took moments of frustration of not being able to know what to do next. It took um, juggling the, the incomplete information that we often got both from the macro social system, both mm. from our regulatory bodies, as well as from the government. We just, mm. we at times had a lot of puzzle pieces, but we weren't sure how we were going to put these puzzle pieces together to make sure that we were providing competent and continuous care, but we did. Uh, each of us with, um, with both wisdom and also the ability to be flexible, we're able to, to go virtual in relatively short days. As a matter of fact, I believe right before the pen, before we, the city went on quarantine and shutdown, we had a community summit because Blanton Peel was at the beginning stages of its strategic planning. And we had a community summit, which I believe you were there, right? Tom? I was there. I was there. That morning. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> Which in hindsight, it's like, oh my goodness, we had almost 80 people in this space. I was in there. We were and eating, we were drinking coffee, shaking yes. hands, no mask. <laughs> the grace of God, as, 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 as the Methodists, we like to talk about grace, would say, <laughs> preserved us from having, from having an outbreak because yeah. we just didn't have the information that we know, now have. I'd say that at the beginning, it was about being creative, but also being thorough. We needed to make sure that we were still being professionals, that we were still mm -hmm. securing privacy and confidentiality for people receiving care, that we were thinking about now people were either calling in or using some other space to be able to engage in therapy. That, that brought up all sorts of the socioeconomic 
issues that come with technology, this it really became a tale of two cities. Not everyone has access to the the better tier of Wi-Fi if they had access to that. And so, yeah, it really, tell yeah. me more about that. Tell, tell me more about that as as you provided care. How yeah? How how did you maneuver that? Because I, I know for educational institution that was huge. It took guidance from our regulatory bodies to have an understanding what they they knew would be important as a best practice. It took some footwork on our on our end to understand what were some of the best practices that already mm -hmm. had been happening from a telemedicine medicine perspective. And it, it meant that we needed to learn also from our clients um, what would be helpful for them as well as our therapists. It, it couldn't just be a top down here, mm -hmm. do this. It really took um, communication um, from various sources within the organization. And it really comes down to understanding that wisdom in psychotherapy and social services requires that we're listening to multiple voices. I think of a choir, where in a choir, you can't have everyone being a tenor or everyone being a bass or, or another type of voice. You need multiple voices to really produce something that's beautiful and that's impactful. And for Blanton Peel, it took multiple voices, the voices of our therapists, the voices of our regulatory bodies, the voices of our board, the voices of our leadership, um, to really be able to produce something that can, could secure equity of care um, in those moments. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's shift a little bit and talk about the the Latino community here here in New York. Both your your church and many of the the friends who are pastors and faith leaders and communities. What was it like for for Latinos, especially as the pandemic wore on, right? Because I think early on we all thought it was two weeks and we'll be okay, and churches were thinking about you know helping people for a few weeks, maybe a month. But then you know we went into the summer and things were still the same and. And what, yeah, what, what were you hearing and what, what were some of the conversations that, that was happening? For me, this really hit home. Uh, I am a pastor in Washington Heights of a small parish. Washington Heights was one of the hardest hit neighborhoods um, in the, during, the pandem during the beginning parts of the pandemic. Uh, and so that meant for me in another, in another type of crisis, I would be the pastor that would go visit people in their home if they couldn't make it to church. You know, the pandemic meant that quarantining meant we couldn't gather together to worship. That meant that we would have to figure out how, how do we still um, cultivate community and care for one another, still provide pastoral care, even though I, I'm one person, I don't have support staff, uh, my small parish is under-resourced. Um, how do we make that happen? And another place where for Latino communities, it, akin to how I knew we talked about family growing up, that even if you didn't have all the resources, everyone had a little something to contribute and together you could make a fiesta. Together you can make a feast. And so it meant um, 
finding out how people could connect. Um, and I, I have to say there was a part of me that was a bit pessimistic. I, my, I have an older parish. Uh, one of my parishioners jokingly says, a ti te mandaron a un asilo de anciano. They sent you to a nursing home. She says that jokingly because it's an older parish. And I wondered how technologically savvy they would be able to connect to Zoom or Facebook or any other resources. And I have to say, uh, God's grace worked in such a wonderful way. And it, it, was it was miraculous to see how people, they made it happen. And a lot of it took supporting one another. If they couldn't get in on a Zoom service, just calling one another, um, mass um, texting, uh, it really took the community. But there were some of my parishioners, for example, were hit by COVID at the beginning and they were really ill. I have to say that um, thankfully there were few casualties. There, were, there was one or two people who died and it actually wasn't of COVID and they weren't actually even in New York City. Um, but I would say if I, going back to your question, I'm telling you a little bit about my context, if I, uh, my colleagues, Throughout this whole time, the exhaustion is what people are talking about. That enthusiasm to, to make community happen, you know, that's a part, that's part of our performative role as pastors that, you know, you have to make sure that things run smoothly, but the performative aspect has moved into, this is now part of our professionalism, uh, conducting a Zoom service, along with an in-person service. For me, under-resourced meant, you know, producing bulletins and making sure that all of these things are happening and also utilizing resources. People are exhausted is, is what I've heard. And I have some clergy friends who have, have resigned or are in the process of leaving their church appointments because they're physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. What are some resources that you relied on during those times? What what helped you, right? You know, theologically or even personally. Uh, finding community, um, more intimate communities. Um, I I find with some of my colleagues just checking in on one another and having conversations and expressing our frustration, dealing with the multiple pandemics that we were dealing at the time, particularly as Latino pastors. Um, we, we had to deal with what it meant to talk about race and racism with also talking about um, being safe during the pandemic. And so we connection um, mm -hmm. in the Methodist system, we talk a lot about connectionalism. It's an important part of our um, theology. Spiritually, I would say for me, Praying was important, connecting to spiritual resources during this time. Um, biblical resources were important, like the book of Psalms. Um, I actually created a, uh, a Bible study around the book of Psalms as a compass for navigating human emotions. And that was helpful for us to not just talk about the sadness, um, but also to talk about the anger 
and to talk about also joy. Uh, all of these, ex the, the plethora of human experience. Um, and I would say outside of the religious and the spiritual things, just disconnecting sometimes and finding humor. I think we all connected a little bit more to our TVs and binge watching Netflix. So that was important. Yeah, yeah. So, so thinking back now, right, as somebody who's, who's been trained in seminary, um, knowing what we know now, what, what should seminaries be preparing clergy to, to do, in your opinion, based on your work, what was at Blend and Peel and the, the mental health cases and crisis that, that you've seen, and as a pastor, who've had to, to do this, right? And I'm thinking more beyond the technology thing, because I, I think by the next the next time this something comes around, Zoom is gonna be something of the past, right? We're, we're gonna need something. So, so the technology part is gonna, it's gonna be different, we're gonna adapt, but, but, but the way we think about these things, right? The way, that, you know, I, I always think about communion and, you know, baptism and all, all these things that we have to be there to do. But we've never, it never crossed our mind two years ago. It never crossed our mind that, that we would not be able to do this together, right? La last week, I met somebody, uh, an Episcopalian priest, who said he, he was ordained on Zoom. Wow. So he became a priest with 15 people on Zoom, right? And if you've been to an Episcopalian ordination, I mean, that thing, it's, it's, a, it's an event, right? So he yeah. went from all the, the bells and whistles of uh, ordination that you're supposed to have at the cathedral to a Zoom meeting, right? And now he's, he's been, a, you know, in June, 2020, he was, he was ordained and, and he's been pastoring June, 2020. Yeah. And, and he, he felt like the three years of MDiv that he did, Right, we, I mean, we all feel that way. Let's be honest. We all feel the MDiv is <laughs> doesn't properly equip us, but especially for this guy, right? He said he was so disconnected. So, if you could talk to to practical theologians, right, seminary professors out there, what what would you tell them? They need to be training future clergy to to do and to think, and and what resources do they need to be creating? Absolutely, there is this sense that seminary seminary whets your appetite um but it needs you need more i would say one of the most important things that often may get lost in seminary training is thinking from a macro social system perspective that is not just going to be the local parish um again i'm talking as a methodist and as a, from a wesleyan the uh theological perspective Wesley would say the world is my parish. It, it really, it, it has some innate wisdom to that in that we're not called just to serve our little church or our big church on the corner of so-and-so. We're called to the world. And so that means we're not, we're not gonna have the world's resources to be able to be pastors of the whole world, but we need to think from a very macro social systems perspective. And so, for me, I would say being aware of the places that you are going to be situated, if you are um, sent to work in a specific community, that you start thinking about what are some of the practical things that the entire human 
being needs, uh, food, shelter, psychological resources, mental health resources, healthcare. How are we thinking about those resources? Um, I, I think building a toolbox is incredibly important and it probably should start um, in seminary, thinking from a systems perspective. As a trained social worker, um, that's something that we're often trained to think, uh, to think not in a linear fashion, but to think about the multiple things that form the ecology of someone. So I would say thinking from an ecosystemic perspective, how um, pastors are not just going to serve the building, um, which unfortunately is what pastors often end up um, utilizing their resources and energy in and end up, that ends up sometimes, you know, moving them out from ministry. But to really think about the humanity of ministry, the humanity of ministry goes back to the face of Christ. The face of Christ is in Matthew 25, right? That um, the, the poor, the broken, the sick, the imprisoned, all those aspects. So not just talking about it theologically and romanticized as we're often sort of taught about, you know, the politicizing Jesus, but that Jesus was a practical theologian. Jesus was about and uh, thinking about, you know, how do we use the loaves and the fishes to make sure that everyone is fed? And I think that's that's allowing and facilitating a process where pastors can start thinking from what are the resources that a child is going to need mm -hmm. in my church that their that their parents might not bring. Um, how can I reach the adolescent? that um that might be shunned from other communities what does it mean to be welcoming and inclusive in this um in this time without thinking about some of the dogmatic ways we've been trained to think about um about church how do we think about how systems impact people and how do we think about utilizing the resources in, in those in those systems i don't know if that sounded a little too yeah. like out there I'm no no that that's exactly what i was thinking so <laughs> so i was thinking the so you know I, I went to seminary in the late 1900s so it's a, it was a different world <laughs> and uh, and uh, the we you know the the i don't think i ever heard the term self-care in the 1900s you know before when, when i was in seminary so uh, so forget anything and anything that was that's holistic that like the way you said but but also i i always think you know jesus spent a lot of time healing people like physically healing people right you know uh, I, I mean I, I don't know if he spent time doing other things, but it wasn't enough to get recorded. So the important thing that got recorded that we got, mm -hmm. he spent, you know, healing people physically. And, but we, we spent, I spent very little time about thinking or being trained, prepared to care for the physical well-being of, uh, of people as, as a pastor. And, and I think that's that's something that that the pandemic made very 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 starkly clear, right? That that uh, you know we we sure we know how to visit somebody in the hospital, but but what happens when you know hospitals the system collapses and there's no rooms and people are at their homes and all these 
uh, all these other things. So, so I like the way you, you put it, that we, we, we need to be training pastors to think holistically, their, their entire ecology, right? Not just their, their spiritual lives, which, which is important, but, you know, and, and should be our, uh, you know, we, we should be trained, training pastors to do that, uh, to focus on it, but we can't, we can't do that in isolation. That's right. Of their physical, uh, mental, and uh, even cultural well-being, right? So that's right. And can I just add to that mm-hmm. that we can't be isolated? And that's another thing that pastors ministry can be isolating because you know unless you're part of a church that has a staff of X amount of people, which is most of our congregations don't have the resources for that. You're going to be isolated. So I think connecting with other clergy and brainstorming. I know I've had clergy that have called to sometimes talk about an issue and together, you know, we talk about it and that helps process things. Mm-hmm. And I think also how we think about resources and the life of the church. When we think about tithes and offerings, right? Um, sometimes we think about the work of the Lord and that sounds so vague. Um, and so really being strategic on how resources can, can be tangible, can be tangible for tangible needs. I know we've had that situation in our community at times. Um, I've known of moments where we've had someone who has been a part of the church and has needed help with medicine or someone has died in the community and they might not have enough for, um, for a funeral. These are tangible things that we need to be thinking about and that um, as we think about financial resources, how do we ensure that social justice is at the core of that? And social justice, while it scares some people these days because they feel like it's a political term, it's really about thinking how, how do we ensure that vulnerable people have access to something that otherwise they won't have access to? So in, in closing, uh, speaking to, to the Latino community, para nuestra gente, we've all been through very traumatic times, some still going through trauma. As, as an expert, as somebody who knows about this, what, uh, what are some words of advice that for us, those who've suffered trauma and those who are called to care for those who've, who've gone through, through such the, the trauma of the last few years? Taking care of oneself um, sometimes is left to that part of the word of the phrase self, and the reality is that there are more there. Most of our journey needs to be accompanied, and so I would say uh, enlist a a support system, um, and not just being a spouse or friends that may mean a mental health professional. And so I think that's incredibly important. Um, finding respite is important during this time. Um, actually at Blanton Peel, um, we've, we've connected with creating a, a, a program in, in May called Pandemic Sabbath. That is for clergy to just, to just learn some of the skills of emotional literacy, trauma-informed pastoral care, resilience and leadership, being able to know that 
you don't have to learn this stuff by yourself. There, there are resources out there. There are ways to um, not just help yourself, but taking care of yourself will mean enlisting the support of another. It's, it is holy and it is spiritual to understand one's vulnerability and to not only seek out the help of God, but also seek out that embodied help of God in, in trained professionals that can um, bear witness to God's grace on earth. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful, that's wonderful. How will one find out more about this the pandemic Sabbath? That, and this is you, right? You created this. We created it at yeah. Blanton Peel. It's, it's going to be a virtual um, program. Mm -hmm. it's, two, um, it's two days for two weeks and mm -hmm. it's mornings and it's something not to be overwhelming for clergy because we know that we are Zoomed out, but it'll be a community building exercise. So please visit blendpeel.org and feel free to reach out to me at mcorea at blendpeel.org. And I'd be happy to chat either via email or on the phone. That's wonderful, that's wonderful. Yeah, it just sounds wonderful. I think I, I, can, I can already imagine so many, so many uh, pastors needing something like this. ¿Lo van a hacer en español también? ¿Qué so, recomendación le doy a los pastores? Sí, sí, sí. Dale. Claro. Bueno, la recomendación que yo le daría a mis uh, compañeros en el ministerio es que esto es un tiempo que ha, que ha traído a luz nuestro cansancio espiritual, emocional, físico. Es importante no quedarnos con eso solos. Necesitamos eh, la ayuda de otros. Creo que vemos esto en el testimonio bíblico desde muy principio, que no hemos sido creados para estar solos. Y aparte de que pueda ser una pareja o un amigo, una amiga, realmente necesitamos en momento la ayuda de profesionales, no porque hay algo que esté mal con nosotros, simplemente que a veces necesitamos a alguien, a un profesional que está fuera de nuestros sistemas que puedan ayudarnos a procesar mejor. Y esto es un tiempo que uh, al pasar la pandemia a, a, otro, a otra estación, vamos a ver que muchos de nosotros vamos a estar lidiando con síntomas uh, post-trauma. Eh, y vamos a necesitar la ayuda eh, no solamente de nuestros familiares y de nuestros amigos, vamos a necesitar la ayuda de profesionales que nos puedan ayudar a procesar les invito, compañeros, a que, a que busquen esos recursos. Están en nuestras comunidades y están en nuestro lenguaje. Eh, y es algo que, que nos va a ayudar eh, en el mañana. No solamente en el presente, sino también en el mañana para ser personas saludables, para cuidar de otros. Eh, acá en mi organización, pues, estamos... Eh, Estamos en proceso de hacer este programa en mayo que se llama eh, el Shabbat Padami, eh, el Shabbat Pandémico. No, no, no sé si lo estoy traduciendo bien. Acuérdate que yo soy New Yorker. <ríe> soy pastor de una iglesia que casi todos hablan español, pero somos bilingües. Eh, Pandemic Sabbath y es para pastores que desean eh, aprender acerca de herramientas que puedan ayudarlos a regularse emocionalmente durante este tiempo en su liderazgo y puedan estar más equipados para la próxima aventura que, se nos, que, que vendrá después de este tiempo. 
Pueden, como, pueden ver la página de blantonpeel.org uh, o se pueden comunicar conmigo uh, vía correo electrónico a mcorrea a blantonpeel.org. Genial, genial. Gracias, gracias. Well, thank you, Miki. Thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us today at the, at the Open Plaza podcast. And I hope this was helpful, helpful to, to those who are listening. Siempre un placer. Ojalá que no sea la última vez. I hope it's not the last time. <laughs> Thank you. This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own. Their appearance on this program or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.